0: It's time to stop focusing on business problems and start focusing on the growth and leadership of your business. Welcome to the Business Edge with your host, Marcia Zeidel. Learn from savvy, street-smart entrepreneurs how to make the leap from running a stressful business that's always putting out fires to leading a successful company that is innovative, productive, profitable. Now, here's Marcia Zeidel.
1: Welcome to the Business Edge. I'm Marcia Zeidel, the Smart Moves coach and speaker helping entrepreneurial and business owners create a thriving culture and leadership to build great companies that matter, those that do good, and do well. My motto is, if you do what you always did, you will get what you always got. Therefore, move outside your comfort zone. That's where the magic happens. So let's start right now to bring some magic to your business. Today's program... Carrying out the theme of the entrepreneurial journey is, Becoming an Entrepreneur Who Thrives in Business Rather Than Crumbles. My guest is Michael Dermer, author of The Lonely Entrepreneur, who will share insights that not only saved his own company, but has made the difference between success and failure for hundreds of struggling startups and entrepreneurs. It's how we manage the struggle of being the entrepreneur, he attests, based on his harrowing experience as an industry pioneer who watched the business he built for 10 years almost get destroyed in 10 days by the 2008 financial crisis. From this experience, he developed a unique method on how to thrive under the pressure, chaos, and burden of being the entrepreneur. So everyone out there who's struggling with the many challenges of starting and building a business, listen up. You're in for a treat. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you on the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, let's just start from your story. What inspired you to write the book, The Lonely Entrepreneur, and then tell uh, the listeners um, you have an interesting story? About success, failure, and success. So, Michael, why did you write the book?
2: Well, I was a corporate lawyer in New York City and I stumbled upon a business idea. And that idea was basically to reward people for being healthy. And mm-hmm. back in the early 2000s, when we started that idea, uh, not only was that non existent, it was almost offensive to the healthcare industry. You know, we're basically asking the healthcare industry to reward people who are being the unhealthiest. But we fought for years and years and years uh, to convince them of that fact. And then after, you know, six, seven, eight years of really uh, starting to really working hard at it, you know, all the blood, sweat, and tears that we go through as entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. we really hit our stride. The industry started to change. And after about a decade, we had really become the industry leader uh, only to have that company that we had worked so hard on basically get destroyed almost overnight by the financial crisis of 2008. Um, you know, all of our clients were big corporate America that were struggling.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: Um, it took us, you know, basically two years of working 20 hours a day to save what it took us 10 years to build. Um, and fortunately, you know, through that whole experience, uh, pretty crazy experience, we were able to stabilize it, rebuild it, and successfully sell it a couple years later and you know I was taking a break and I started doing some entrepreneur coaching uh-huh. and the common theme amongst everybody I was coaching was the struggle. And uh-huh. one of them said to me, Being an entrepreneur was really lonely. And I was like, wow, I wonder if you could really create a single resource for entrepreneurs that help them deal with all the pressure and understands that struggle but then can take that, that energy and that feeling and turn it into real solutions. And that's what led us to uh, The Lonely Entrepreneur.
1: Well, I will tell you that I, um, I got the book, and I've read about half of it. And it has some, you know, some very interesting concepts in that book. And I'd like you to, uh, as, I, as I ask you about these concepts, uh, to tell the listeners um, a bit more. So first, um, you talk about the struggle, Okay, um, what do you think is the struggle that every entrepreneur faces?
2: You know, it is actually the nature of the entrepreneurial beast. You know, when you go and when you leave a job or you start a new business, you're always faced with the common same things, right? You're faced with a lack of resources. A lot of times it's only you, a lack of money. You don't have other people. Like, so, so by its very nature, you're kind of put in the middle of this pressure from day one. And within that pressure, right, it becomes really, really difficult to see the forest for the trees and see where you're going. You know, we actually say you're under the influence of four P's, uh, pressure, okay. passion, pleasure and pain. And what those four P's do is it puts you right in the middle of the struggle. And when you're in that struggle, you develop these flawed perspectives that make it really hard to make good business decisions to advance your business, but it really is the nature of the entrepreneur beast to feel overwhelmed by all that.
1: Right. So, um, can you uh, talk a bit more about um, the four P's? Uh, you mentioned them, but how do they? What do they do to that person? So, uh, and that skews them to making maybe bad decisions. Uh, that skews them to being so stressed, hiring the wrong people. Um, yep. How do they interact with one another?
2: So if you think about all of them, think about, first of all, pressure, right? A lot of times you're leaving a stable paycheck, you're leaving a stable job. I think I saw the stats the other day that 80% of the people that started a new business left another job to do it. So you Uh have the natural pressure of putting your financial uh, life at risk, maybe bringing other families. You have the pressure part of it. Passion, we all know, right? We all say... Well, I know there's lots of, you know, meatball stands in New York City where I live, live, but not meatballs like my meatballs, right? We're passionate about our idea. (laughs) Um, The pleasure that comes with little things, our first logo, right? Our first business card, our first customer. There's a a pleasure that comes with that. And then there's the pain. You know, we take the losses very seriously, whether it's we didn't get a customer or we couldn't hire that employee. When you broil all that together kind of in a stew, it really does create a, cause us to develop these flawed perspectives that impact our business negatively every day.
1: Right. So what might be some of those flawed perspectives so that we, you know, I, so that people can start identifying, well, maybe, maybe I have that perspective.
2: Yep. Um, so I'll give you a couple. So one is people will say, I can't prioritize. I have to do everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. your friends will say, well, just prioritize. Well, um, everybody here knows that if we don't prioritize a couple of things over other things, we never get anything done. But entrepreneurs say, well, wait a minute. How can I prioritize? I have to do everything. And that's just a flawed perspective. That's a kind of a recipe for failure. So you have, to, you have to actually take steps to prioritize. Another is, you mentioned it briefly before, is hiring. Right? Mm-hmm. You'll be interviewing somebody. And even though the per- you need the person sitting across the table t- from you to be a nuclear physicist, you'll go... <laughs> Well, I have a good gut feeling about them. I can teach (laughs) teach them nuclear physics, right? Right. (laughs) We just, all of these four Ps basically cause us to make these bad decisions. Well, what happens the next day? The next day, I haven't prioritized, right? The next day, I haven't, I've hired the wrong employee and actually gives my business a a lesser chance of success.
1: Uh, Do you think part of this, because not only are you... Uh, talking from your own experience, but from the entrepreneurs you worked with, do you think they um, are over-optimistic or maybe more pessimistic? Um,
2: there's lots of different you know breeds of entrepreneurs. I can tell you, um, mm-hmm. the one thing they normally have though is they have their idea, and so um, a lot of times it's, you know you need to have that passion to kind of go into the entrepreneurial journey.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
2: But at the same time, you have to strike that passion, you know, with a balance. So one really good thing to do, you know, we all think we have the best meatballs, right? Um, right. One good thing to do to change that perspective is, you know, go to some people that you know, some colleagues and friends, not oh. necessarily your best friends, you know, not necessarily people that, that want to support you regardless of what you do, but people that will be candid with you,
3: uh-huh. right, that,
2: will, that you can bring your idea to, that, that even though you think your meatballs are great, let them taste them. Um, And let them be really honest with you, because then you can balance that optimism with hopefully a a healthy pessimism that comes with an independent point of view.
1: So what you're saying is that we all need – entrepreneurs are optimistic to begin with, especially if they're leaving a well-paid job and they are um, – you know, and and, and then they – Uh, And and so they have this brilliant idea, I'm going to make the best meatballs there are, okay? Uh, But what you're also saying is you need that passion, um, but you also need a perspective. And that perspective, as you just talked about it, is getting some reality testing. Am I correct on that? Maybe you don't have the best meatballs, okay?
2: Right, and, or maybe you just need to make, let me ball slightly differently. Um, so what I would say is that when you're under the influence of those four P's, you do mm-hmm. have a flawed perspective. And so how do you employ tools and techniques like going to other people about your idea? The same thing is true with employees. You know, if you're looking to hire employees, why not go to third parties and friends and colleagues that you could have, talk to them and, and give an independent view on their capabilities. So it's how do we become better entrepreneurs? So how do we recognize we have these flawed perspectives, but then actually take specific steps to change it, like the couple examples we've been talking about?
1: Right. So um, getting back to the book, um, we've talked about the struggle. We've talked about the four Ps. Uh, you've also talked about um, the brutal truth. What is the brutal truth?
2: Well, it's really... T- 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 And what I mean by that is, you know, you're the one that has worked the hardest, usually put your own money into something, you know, Uh sleep the least, you know, might've involved your family. And the brutal reality is that if your business is struggling or maybe not as getting as far as fast as you'd like, chances Uh are it's your fault. (laughs) And and that is a really almost impossible pill to swallow. Um, And... But what I would tell you is this, is once you recognize that, that being an entrepreneur is, is not a job, it's, it's really an identity, mm-hmm. and, you, and you embrace the journey of becoming a better entrepreneur, you accept this brutal truth of saying, hey, I'm going to get better at being an entrepreneur. I understand I don't know all the I need to know, but how is it that I improve on my skills and my perspectives to do it? But and once you accept that brutal truth, instead of resisting it and feeling pressure, just basically saying, listen, I'm going to get better at it, no different than a mother tries to get better at being a mom or a golfer works on their golf game. Mm-hmm. Once you accept that brutal truth that that it's most likely your issue, then you can right. accept and embrace the process of getting better at it and go back to your desk and be better at it the next day.
1: And that is, you know, the best thing to do, which is to... Uh, what you really say is take responsibility for your feelings, for your actions, for the effect that it has on, on everybody. Uh, but what happens when people blame other? You know, what happens when an entrepreneur, what happens when a, a person doesn't take responsibility for it? Um, have you come across those kinds of entrepreneurs?
2: Sure. We have a, we have a chapter in the book where we call, it's called Everybody Sucks. <laughs> and but, <Okay. laughs> it's a perfect example. So think about entrepreneurs get frustrated all the time with, with the scarce resources they had. So let's say they hired a kid out of college, have an advisor that's willing to work with them for two hours a week. And they've got a, a really high powered colleague that says, Hey, I'll have instead of that, you know, that high powered two hours a month you send them uh-huh. a 100-page document, and you say, I can't believe that person wouldn't read the 100-page document, right? right. Or the are paying $20,000, right, below market salary. I remember I had somebody say to me, I think I got to let this person go. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, all they want to do is play volleyball and hang out with their boyfriend on the weekend. <laughs> and, right. you know, we as entrepreneurs would, would ban volleyball and maybe even ban boyfriends if we could, right? <laughs> to, but, but this whole concept, Recognizing that it's actually us—it's us not recognizing. I have a kid out of college; them paying below market. I have an advisor that, if I use them properly for two hours, I could really take advantage of them, mm-hmm. as opposed to not realizing it's our perspective that's screwed up and saying, "Oh wow, I could use this advisor much more effectively if I actually just gave them work that made sense in a two-hour block versus giving them a hundred-hour, hundred-page document."
1: Right. Um- So the other, you know, again, looking at some of the things you talked about in your book is um, some people say that visionary, that entrepreneurs are visionary, but you say that becoming a successful entrepreneur is something that can be taught. Why should entrepreneurs spend time learning how to change their perspective?
2: It's a great question. Um, Well, here's what I think. More and more entrepreneurs uh, are going to rely on, starting their own businesses for their careers. Um, uh, About 500,000 businesses get started in the U.S. every month. And Mm -hmm. corporate America is less and less the source of employment. And so Mm -hmm. more and more people are either doing entrepreneurism or thinking about doing entrepreneurism. And entrepreneurism, it's almost like what they say about being a CEO. The first time you're a CEO, it's always on-the-job training.
1: (laughs) Yes. And the same
2: things as an entrepreneur. But I think what happens at times is we don't – Embrace this journey of getting better at it. You know, I know what really helped me as the CEO of my company is when I really embraced becoming a better CEO. And I think that's the, one of the disservices I think we've done to entrepreneurs is we've said, okay, if we arm you with passion and grit, you should be fine. Right? Even though we're sending them nice. into this world without capital and resources and experience, uh, I actually think the opposite. I think people have, a lot of people have great DNA. How do we combine that passion and grit with tools and insights, uh, like some of the things we've been talking about here, to actually be a better entrepreneur and change their perspective so they go back to their best and they're better at it that day?
1: So I'm going to veer a little off offline here, you know, taking a little side chat, and um, because I interview a lot of entrepreneurs and because I'm involved, uh, and many of those entrepreneurs um, come from several programs in the Dallas area, uh, but one is the Goldman Sachs 10,000 uh, small businesses, um, and, and there are entrepreneur programs at uh, SMU um, and you know throughout all the different colleges and universities. So what's your take? on these programs that are there to help entrepreneurs, to see the re- the reality of what they're getting into and how to be better at it. Uh,
2: I think there are no shortage of terrific programs throughout the United States and frankly throughout the world that are put forth by universities, incubators, co-working spaces, government resources. There's no shortage of those. Uh, I would have one criticism of them, and I think this is where we at The Lonely Entrepreneur are trying to help.
0: Right. There's
2: two things that I don't think these programs do. Number one, they don't recognize the place of the struggle. Right? It's very different to, say, write a business plan when you're at IBM versus mm-hmm. writing a business plan when you're under the pressure. Um, that's number one. Um, number two uh, is that I don't think we have organized – the programs and the information in a way that's digestible for entrepreneurs, right? If you went to SMU and then you went over, you know, a couple hundred miles away and you went to, you know, Texas at Austin, you might see two different programs on investment that said not completely different things, but certainly different things. So one of the, not only understand the struggle and provide solutions, but organize it in a way that somebody says, oh wait, I, I want to learn about investment. Here's where I go to learn about it because, frankly, there's more and more resources than entrepreneurs can even jest and digest, and that becomes becomes overwhelming.
1: Right, and so I think what you're saying, we're going to be taking a break in a, in another minute or so, is that what you provide, and what I I've read in the book is you've actually gone through all this. You know, it's not academic for you. <laughs> it, is, it is real. It is sweat, tears, a lot of sweat and tears um, and struggle. And I think that's the value that I think you're trying to bring um, to the lonely entrepreneur. Am I correct on that?
2: Yeah. You know, I even had advisors that were advising me that I didn't listen to because I kept saying to myself, they've never been in my shoes. They don't know what it's like to think about missing payroll um, I didn't explain it in a way that did it justice, but there's a video on the lonelyentrepreneur.com website that goes through, you know, my story. I, I can only tell you that those two years were 20-hour days. Um, the financial world was collapsing around us, uh, and that 20-hour day would usually end at about 10 o'clock at night with my brother and I screaming at each other, and do that again. You know, kind of lather, rinse, repeat. Do that again for two years. So. Um, one of the things that really compelled me to, to start the lonely entrepreneur, I mean, did not have to do this. I was fortunate enough to sell a business was I couldn't really sit idly by and watch people go through what I had gone through when they had the opportunity to have all the rewards of running their own business. Um, but I can tell you that until you've sat in those shoes, not just my Uh shoes, but, but the shoes of being there, um, Uh you won't really know what it's like. And, and that's hopefully, you know, if we can help entrepreneurs, uh, be better at it and have a better chance of success, that's why we're doing this.
1: Well, at, uh, so now it is time for a short break. I'm Marcia Seidel, the Smart Moves Coach, and my guest is Michael Dermer, the lonely entrepreneur who has been talking about becoming an entrepreneur who thrives in business rather than crumbles. You're listening to The Business Edge on Voice America Business Channel. Stay tuned.
3: Need a speaker for your next event that will engage, educate, and energize Marsha Seidel, the Smart Moves Coach, will quickly capture your audience attention with her enthusiasm, her ability to connect with diverse groups, and her real-world success stories. She creates learning experiences that turn on the light bulbs, trigger innovative ideas, and motivate decisive action. The result? Accelerated leadership performance and business profitability. Schedule a keynote, presentation, or webinar now. Go to smartmovescoach.com forward slash speaking.
4: Have you heard the great news? Snelling has been awarded best of staffing by both clients and candidates for their remarkable service, an achievement less than 1% of all workforce solutions companies can claim. Simply put, Snelling's satisfaction scores are more than double the industry average. We call it People Plus, and you'll understand why when you give us a call. Call us at 1 800 411 6401 or visit our webpage at www.snelling.com. That's 1 800 411 6401 or S-N-E-L-L-I-N-G dot com.
2: Have you ever heard of someone who felt stuck in a challenging situation, feeling sideswiped by an event that took their success path off course? Glenn Ramsey, the entrepreneur blind spot coach, will help you to identify the unnoticeable reasons why you've derailed and get back on track with your KPI goals. Get realigned with success and connect with Glenn, the blind spot coach, at glenn at inspirenexus.com to schedule your free discovery coaching session today. That's Glenn, G L E N, at inspirenexus.com.
0: You're tuned into the business edge with Marcia Idol.
1: Welcome back to the Business Edge. I'm Marcia Zeidel, the Smart Moves Coach, helping entrepreneurs and business owners create a thriving culture and leadership to build great companies that matter, those that do good and do well. My guest is Michael Dermer, author of The Lonely Entrepreneur, who is sharing insights that not only saved his company, but has made the difference between success and failure, for hundreds of struggling startups and entrepreneurs. At the end of the last segment, Michael was talking about part of the struggle that entrepreneurs um, go through, and, um, and so I want to continue on that vein and ask you, Michael, um, part of that struggle is uh, is not only knowing what they're getting into and the reality of it but also recognizing the, how they play into the, how, uh, their, their uh, struggles and challenges. And so can you just um, answer um, a little more um, w- why it is important for entrepreneurs to uh, recognize their own particular shortcomings?
2: Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's funny. In the book, we, we have a chapter called Like It or Not, You Need to Be CEO, And, you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs, they might be a technologist or a physician or somebody from fashion. You know, they have a (laughs) a restaurateur, a chef, right? And they may have a specific skill. But now they're forced into not just being responsible for their skill, but actually running a business. And that a lot of times are different skills that they don't have. And what tends to happen is when people don't have – don't really realize that when – even if you're just the chef, right, and it's your idea – you still have to be the leader, right? Mm-hmm. So the way you act, what you do, how you communicate affects everybody that your organization does business with. So whether or not you want to be the CEO, you are. You know, We, we talk about a, a perspective called you're always on stage. Right? Mm-hmm. When you're the one that starts, even if it's just you and you're working with vendors or consultants, they look to you in every single thing that you did. Um, I was talking before about my struggle in the financial crisis Over that two-year period, I knew how much my employees would be looking to me to feel confident in where we were going. And I walked into the office with my head held high, smiling, and even though the the world was collapsing around us. And one time, a professor of mine um, who had previously said, listen, we're going to be fine. The financial crisis isn't isn't affecting us, then called me back two weeks later and said, we're not going to be able to stay with you. And I pounded my hand on the desk, and I threw this little rubber baseball I had against the wall. And years later, an employee of mine who had been with me for years said, you know what, Michael, we never felt scared until that uh-huh. one time you pa- you pounded your hand on the desk. And then I was like, really? One time over two years? Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but you don't realize that whether or not you want to be the leader, even if you were just a, a, a technologist, right, that, that uh-huh. loves the right code, you have to understand that you set the tone for every single thing that your organization does. And that's something that they don't. Teach you when you're learning to be a chef, or you're writing code, or you're learning how to design great fashion.
1: Right, and so, um, you know, when I talk about leadership, I uh, talk about the leader uh, is the role model. The leader, uh, yep. people take their cues from the leader, and if the and how leader the leader treats the people, how the leader yep. treats customers, uh, they're going to pick it up. It's the same thing if you're raising a family. Your children will pick up the cues from you about how you deal with people. Um, yep. it, it, yes, go ahead.
2: Totally. We have, we have something in the book we call Seven Deadly Sins. And uh, a couple of those deadly sins are talking negatively about employees and talking negatively about customers.
4: Mm-hmm. Think about
2: how many times uh, something will happen with a customer and the leader of the company will say, well, that customer just doesn't know what they're talking about. To your point, that immediately sets the tone that it is acceptable to blame customers as opposed to take the hard look at yourself and and the things you can do better as a company. Same thing's true with employees, right? Imagine if you said to an employee that is no longer with the company, whether or not they should have been with the company, imagine when the leader says, well, it's it's good that they're not here anymore. The first thing that everybody else around the room goes, well, wait a minute, if they're talking about that person like that, what happens when I have a, a problem or a challenge? So, you always have to realize that when you like it or not, you're forced into that leadership role, and you have to understand to your point, you are going to set the tone and the culture for everything that happens in that company.
1: And so, let's even do a little deeper dive into the personal characteristics, traits, whatever you want to call it, of an effective leader. And whether that person is an entrepreneur or is the head of, um, you know, works in a big corporation. And one of the, uh, what's what's a very hot performance tool now um, in the business world is emotional intelligence. Um, So I know you talk about that in the book. Uh, You know, uh, why do successful entrepreneurs, first of all, need emotional intelligence? And then... um, and then I'm going to ask you, you know, how do they uh, show it? Uh, what are some of the things that they can do to show they are or not emotionally intelligent?
2: Yeah, the way I always describe emotional intelligence is, is if you have a blender and you have all the different buttons on the blender, and mm-hmm. you don't always push the same button every time, right? Mm-hmm. You have right. to have the ability to understand the situation that is in front of you, right? And the people that are in that situation, right, and to understand how the decisions you're going to make and the things that you're going to say, especially of the leader, are going to affect not only the outcome that you want to get, but the individual people in the room. I'll I'll give you an example. If I, as the leader of a couple people, go in and say, I want all you guys to do this, right, I I could do it that way. The other way I could go in is I can go in and say, listen, the last time I tried to do this on my own, I really screwed it up. I really uh-huh. like you guys to get together and brainstorm about the best way to do this, right? <sighs> same exact scenario, same exact amount of time and effort, but much more empowering in the second than it is in the first. And so you just realize that, that having this ability to be emotionally intelligent is hugely important, especially in an unstructured environment like the entrepreneurial journey, right? When you're in a large corporate America, there's lots of structure and process that deals with these things. When things are the normal chaotic environment of dealing with employees and consultants and vendors and not having all the money you need and a market that you're not sure of, the ability to take in a situation and deal with it appropriately by acknowledging mm-hmm. your, own, the own, your own pressure and feelings and emotions and also the, the feelings and emotions of the people across the table from you is, is one of those skills that you know 10 years ago in business school they didn't teach and now they do because I think people realize it's, actually, it's really the glue that keeps things together.
1: Right, and so um, you know why are emotions um, uh, important to like reacting to bad you know something that happens that um, you you didn't get the, uh, the uh, you didn't get the contract or they pulled they pulled it why why yeah. is you know how does how does emotional intelligence plays into that?
2: Well, the one thing I would say is the entrepreneurial venture. Um, by its very nature is an emotional exercise, right? For all of your listeners that we all know, right? That Mm -hmm. we turn our computers on at 10 o'clock at night, or we miss our kids' soccer game, right? Or we wake up in the middle of the night in a panic, or right? Or excited. It's it's an emotional thing. It's a visceral experience. And so, first of all, understanding where you sit and all that, how that pressure is affecting you, which is really, really hard to do, then that's affecting, you know, everything that's going on around you. I know, in the middle of a financial crisis, I would walk across the street in Manhattan thinking about something, and I could have got hit by a bus, and I don't even think <laughs> I've, you would have even noticed it. Um, yeah. And so you're in the middle of that, that all the time. What you have to be able to do is to understand that when you lose customers or things go wrong, listen, an entrepreneurial venture, you're doing something that's arguably new. So mm-hmm. by the very nature, right, you're going to have roadblocks. You're going you're gonna to run into some stumbles. It's the ability to understand that that is actually part of what's supposed to happen and to embrace kind of the humility and being a learner to say, how am I going to get better at this? As opposed to the example I gave before, wow, my customer is just stupid. Or, you know what, evaluating your life, like you lose a, a customer or you lose an investment or an employee leaves and you go, I don't know if I'm ready to be cut out to be an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> Evaluating your life like right in the middle of the fight when those, uh, when those emotions are affecting you the most, so I would say that, that the very nature of the entrepreneurial beast puts emotion front and center, so one mm-hmm. of the skills that you have to be able to, to develop is to understand yourself enough right to say right. How, how do I actually process through this and, and, and lead what I'm trying to do as opposed to, react to it, reacting to it emotionally?
1: Right and. Um how did you, how did you develop your emotional intelligence, or were you great at it? I mean, did you have was that a really strong suit for you, or did you have to develop it?
2: Um, anybody who worked for any of my companies, I'll say for the record that I had it before, but they know that's not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was I was fortunate enough to be a mergers and acquisitions lawyer in New York City. There's a lot of pressure in that job. I was also the captain of sports team through high school and college, so I certainly had some leadership ability, but I can tell you that uh, especially us men, right, that have egos and drive, the last thing we are by our very nature, not to generalize, is humble and learners. And so frankly, you know, it took me getting dumped on my butt a couple of times to realize, hey, if you're really gonna be good at being an entrepreneur and a leader, you have to learn to be humble, you have to embrace learning, And you have to really understand it's actually not about you. It's about your employees and your customers and your investors. And if you make them successful, you win. But I can tell you at the beginning, being a hard-charging, you know, ex-athlete, ex-mergers and acquisition lawyer, the last thing I think I was was emotional intelligence. Um, That's one of the reasons, frankly, we're doing The Lonely Entrepreneur is because if we went through it and other people don't have to go through it and they can actually, you know, start learning from day one. I wish I would have started when I was 20 becoming more emotionally intelligent.
1: <laughs> you know part of the problem when someone doesn't have emotional intelligence is that they either um, don't take in all the information they need uh, to make a wise decision or they become and therefore they're impulsive, or they go the opposite direction because of fear to make the decisions. It's paralysis by analysis. Um, any yep. thoughts? How do you help? Because you do coach entrepreneurs. How do you help the entrepreneur who's mostly impulsive, and and then the entrepreneur who can't get off his butt?
2: You know what? It really does come down to that same you know brutal truth that we were talking about before, which is to recognize that it's your issue and you're making the mistake. Um, it is really, really hard as an entrepreneur when you want to move fast, right? And something happens, you want to react to it. And you really have to embrace the fact that you're leading, you're going to develop a plan, you're going to stick to that plan. And along the way, right, you're going to go sideways mm-hmm. at times. That's the very nature of the beast. I mean, a lot of what I'm talking about here is accepting that there are certain things that naturally come with all entrepreneurs, right? And a lot of these things, the emotion, the lack of uncertainty... If we kind of accept that and and understand that's going to be the way it is, that when it comes, we don't react impulsively or we don't get shut down or overwhelmed by it. Right. And kind of lock ourselves in a room. We keep working the issue. And what you find is if we're not just relying on, like I said before, you know,
3: we're
2: actually getting better at it, just like this conversation. Right. How do we get better when we feel the angst? Right. What do we do? Can't we go back to work that day and say, okay, here's the 10 things I'm going to focus on? Because you know what? When you focus on the things you said you were going to do and you uh-huh. get to the end of the day and you get those, those 10 things done, you actually take away a lot of that energy because you make progress. It's when you react impulsively and something goes wrong or you don't react at all because you're overwhelmed. Uh-huh. How do you actually take that and go, I'm not going to put my energy into that. I'm going to put my energy into the 10 things I thought I was going to do. And at the end of the day, you go, oh, I'm closer to my goal than I thought I was.
1: You know, um, I agree with you that um, if we can step back and focus on the 10 things that we said we're going to do and do it, that's the way to get out of it. But also knowing myself and knowing people, because I've worked with people all my life, some, what help can you give to someone who says, "I really want to do this, but my mind is going, you know, a thousand miles an hour"? I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. You know, the the stresses and the challenges. So, it's one thing to say verbally, "Just focus," but what else have you learned to do, or helped others to do, to really get them to focus?
2: So this is part of it, about developing those skills. So let's say a, a little boy comes home to his mom and says, I want to play football and soccer and bas- basketball and hockey, and I want to swim and I want to run and I want to go, <laughs> right? And mom says, right. that's awesome. That's great. You're so enthusiastic. So let's pick the one that's most, Im- that's most important to you that you really want to try, right? And let's right. buy you the right equipment and we'll come up with a plan and we'll, and we'll throw the football around in the backyard, right, and all that kind of stuff. So it's developing these types of skills that, frankly, we use in other parts of our lives, right?
1: So when you have all these
2: ideas in your head, it's like, okay, how do I – I'll give you a specific example. Entrepreneurs will always say, I will go after any customer anywhere. Yes, right? yes. We, would, we yes. would take a rocket to Pluto if, they would, if we could find a paying customer, right? As opposed – you know, that's just like the little boy coming home and saying, I'll do anything. But how do you change that to say, I'm going to pick one type of customer, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick – I'm going to sell something to men whose last name starts with the letter B. I'm going to find out where they are, where they spend their money, where they hang out, what they like to buy. And I'm going to focus all my effort on the letter B, just like Joey's going to spend all his effort on football. Right? Right. Then what happens? You get better at it. You get more focused on it. You learn. And when things come back and they don't go so well, you start to understand. Um, It's a lot like if you drive to work the same way every day. Mm-hmm. You know where the traffic is, you know <laughs> what time the traffic's the worst, you know what happens when the weather's bad. If you go to work different ways every day, it's really hard to digest all that. So it's a matter of how do you take that energy and organize it into a plan, organize it into focusing on a customer, you know, all the things we talk about in, uh, in the book.
1: Right. And sometimes you need help in doing that. Um, that's where the coaching comes in. I would imagine that you've, you know, it's, it's one thing to read a film, a book. It's and also to be told that, do you find that with some entrepreneurs and we just have about a minute or two left that they need a little more attention or accountability while others can just take what you told them and just move on.
2: Yeah. People learn different ways, but I can tell you that some grasp it and have aha moments. Others embrace the notion of, okay, the brutal truth and I have to process through it. Um, But generally, Waking up and going, I'm going to be better at this, and I'm going to look at myself first. And that's not a weakness; that's actually a strength. Mm-hmm. Being an entrepreneur, that's really the one aha moment that lets them go. Oh, a situation you know didn't go well, or I'm feeling the pressure. How do I do it better? And that's the foundation. And then obviously people learn different ways. Sometimes one-on-one coaching, sometimes our learning platforms. You know, right. sometimes kind of do-it-yourself you know, vehicles.
1: But they must first recognize. That they need to change their perspective. I think that's the bottom line, correct?
2: That is the, bo- that is the bottom line. They feel the struggle. Like right. everybody in your audience feels the struggle just like I did. It's a matter of what do you do with that um, and how do you actually change your perspective to be a better entrepreneur?
1: Well, on that note, it's time for a short break. I'm Marcia Zeidel, the Smart Moves Coach, and my guest is Michael Dermer, the lonely entrepreneur who has been talking about becoming an entrepreneur who thrives in business rather than crumbles. You're listening to the Business Edge on Voice America Business Channel. When we come back, Michael is going to be talking about the seven deadly sins, so stay tuned.
4: Have you heard the great news? Snelling has been awarded best of staffing by both clients and candidates for their remarkable service, an achievement less than 1% of all workforce solutions companies can claim. Simply put, Snelling's satisfaction scores are more than double the industry average. We call it People Plus, And you'll understand why when you give us a call. Call us at 1 800 411 6401 or visit our webpage at www.snelling.com. That's 1 800 411 6401. S-N-E-L-L-I-N-G.com.
3: Need a speaker for your next event that will engage, educate, and energize? Marsha Zitel, the Smart Moves Coach, will quickly capture your audience's attention with her enthusiasm, her ability to connect with diverse groups, and her real-world success stories. She creates learning experiences that turn on the light bulbs, trigger innovative ideas, and motivate decisive action. The result Accelerated leadership performance and business profitability. Schedule a keynote, presentation, or webinar now. Go to smartmovescoach.com forward slash speaking.
0: You're tuned into the business edge with Marsha's Idol.
1: Welcome back to the Business Edge. I'm Marcia Ziedel, the Smart Moves Coach, helping entrepreneurs and business owners create a thriving culture and leadership to build great companies that matter, those that do well and do good. My guest is Michael Dermer author of The Lonely Entrepreneur, who has been sharing insights that not only saved his own company, but have made the difference between success and failure for hundreds of struggling startups and entrepreneurs. And Michael, uh, you alluded to this as you were talking uh, about the struggle and, and the challenges of entrepreneurship, um, but you, you you mentioned a couple of the seven deadly sins uh, that plague entrepreneurs. So I'm wondering, uh, can you go through each one and maybe give an example? Um, because I think this is a great way to end uh, this segment.
2: Sure. Uh, and I'll go back to the, the two that I started with because they're really important. You know, what we're talking about here is that, you know, everything that the leader does sets the tone for everybody throughout the company. and. You know, the first one is talking negatively about customers. You know, when you're in an early stage entrepreneurial venture, almost always what you do isn't going to fit perfectly with customers. I mean, think about it. We're all arguably doing something new. Um, and so we're naturally going to have feedback from customers where they don't like it. It's price, you know, they don't like the price. Um, and whenever we as organizations don't blame ourselves or look at ourselves first and, and give us the luxury of saying it's the customer's fault, that does two things. Number one, it doesn't challenge us to be better and to meet the customer's needs.
1: And number two,
2: it tells the rest of the organization, whether it's one person or 30 people, right, it's okay to blame somebody else. Uh, right. Secondly is around employees. Um, in the early stages of a venture, you've got to be a team. And imagine if you have leaders of the company who run around and talk negatively, not only about the employees that are there, right? Joe didn't do a good job, right? Susie should have, should have proofread that better. Right. Or they talk about people that have left the company. Right. As I said before, well, we're glad we're, they're not here anymore. Um, that sends a message, a very specific message to the employees that are sitting in the room. Right. That mm-hmm. the type of organization that I, that I want to work, work for. Um, and then that goes on to a couple of others. Um, one is respecting others' people's t- people time and being on time. You know, when you are the leader um, and you're the one that's always late, right? Or you're the one that's just not being respectful of other people in the room the right way. That right. also sends a tone. How can we ask people to work till 10 o'clock at night when mm-hmm. the meeting's supposed to so- show up at three o'clock and everybody else is there prepared on time, but the person running the company comes up 15 minutes late? And, you know, a lot of times we as the leader would say, but wait a minute, I'm responsible for everything. I can't be on time. And that's just one of those things you think is acceptable, but you really have to take a different perspective and say, I show up on time. I show that I'm respectful for other people, and I show them the tone that I want to be set for, for everybody. And I'll leave you with a, there's seven of them, but I'll leave you with the last one. And that's about, about personal relationships. Um, huh? A lot of times the people you do business with in the beginning are people that you spend many, many, many hours with. They may even be family members, right? They may be people that you're close to. Um, You really have to be careful about mixing business and pleasure, especially when it comes to personal relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. It's hard enough to run an entrepreneurial venture with all the energy and passion that goes into that. When you bring into that mix um, personal relationships – It becomes increasingly difficult to do. And sometimes you'll have, you know, four or five people in the company that are, you know, they're working 24 hours a day together, spending their whole lives together. So you really have to be able to separate that so you can focus on the business at hand and not worry about the the interpersonal challenges. Um, You hear it all the time with with spouses that get into business together. And uh, sometimes it's just really better to separate the personal and the professional. Uh, in a formal way, so you can actually have uh, some place to go where that isn't all all boiled together. So there's lots more, but that's a, a, an example of a couple of them.
1: Well, j- just carrying on that, what you just said about, um, you know, relationships. Um, on, on the show, I've had um, actually a uh, husband and wife who's worked together. Uh, Started a business, and they talked about you know how you know do we do pillow talk? Uh, Do we separate the business (laughs) from our you know? uh, And how do we deal with the children? And then I had a, a another one that was a brother and sister who took over the family business, and they and they had completely different styles. I met them, and and you know they looked at the world differently. Um, yep. and, and the good thing was she was in Dallas and he was in Chicago. So they only <laughs> got together for a short yep. period of time, but yes, you have to work that out. Um, also in the book, you had a couple of others, uh, deadly sins. Um, you know, you, you talked about not speaking negatively about, uh, customers, uh, not speaking negatively about employees, um, But, you know, another one you talked about is believing there is no competition. Why is that a deadly sin?
0: Um,
2: In this day and age, right, there is always competition for every single business. I think, you know, 20 years ago, like, you know, 1-800-Flowers was completely unique, right? Nobody had the idea. Today, you get competition not only from uh, Austin, Texas, and Fort Worth, and San Francisco, but you get it from Dubai and Shanghai and Paris, right? It's, uh, you could be competing with anybody throughout the world. And we're so, again, it's this influence of our passion, right? We're so passionate about our ideas that, that sometimes we say, well, nobody does it the way I do it. Um, a different perspective, and I would argue the right perspective, is to say, listen, there's always going to be competition. There's going to be people with more money than me. There's going to be people competing for the same exact things that I'm competing for. How do I actually acknowledge that embrace it and actually use what entrepreneurs have more than everybody, which is the ability to, to think differently about it. So, again, it goes back to that acknowledging the competition and saying, I'm not going to fight the fight where everybody else is playing, right? I'm going to actually try to find, we call them playgrounds. I'm going to try, try playgrounds where nobody else is playing. So, how do we use the entrepreneurial creativity to embrace that competition Right, and then and then take it on using that creativity to come up with different solutions where we can win.
1: Right, and you talk about don't run or ignore competition. Learn from them, acknowledge, embrace it, uh, and and take it and incorporate it into what you can do better than them. Um, so another one that you uh, list in the book is diminish, uh, diminish, dismissing how your team feels. Why is that uh, so bad? Well.
2: Again, the nature of the entrepreneurial beast is is you think about working hard, right? Usually under market salary, sometimes not working for any salary. People are Uh working really, really, really hard. And we as leaders, me included, would say things like, well, that's just the nature of the beast. That's just the way it is, right? Right, right. Really, it should be the complete opposite. You should acknowledge, right, that people are making sacrifices, right? And when you acknowledge that people are making sacrifices and you take some time out of your day, not to diminish how they feel, but actually to bring that front and center and make that really, really important, that's when your people go home at 10 o'clock at night and say, I can't wait to get back to work the next day. But if you diminish how they're feeling about this, even though, remember, you as the leader, a lot of times you see the vision. Mm-hmm. Right? This, is, this is oxygen to you. But if you hired your fourth employee, you expect them to do the same things. If you're not embracing what, what's in it for them and why they're doing it and how they feel about it, Right? It might be them living a lifelong dream. They might be doing something every day that they don't really like that you could make a slight change in their workday right, to make it much more empowering for them. So you can't just say this is the nature of the beast and just deal with it. How do you actually get into it with them and embrace their feelings and, and thoughts about it and actually try to get a higher performing team?
1: Right. And, you know, that reminds me of um, the Gallup poll. um, The Gallup organization has been doing uh, surveys on uh, employee engagement for the past 10 years. And um, uh, 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 the stats aren't that great. (laughs) Uh, They say that only about 30 percent. Are full of employees are fully engaged and yep. really 50% are sort of engaged you know they come to work and they just do their job okay yep. and, and then there's another maybe 20 30 percent who are really disengaged and th- they can sabotage so I think what you're saying is that when you um, when you when you pay attention to your team, and you don't dismiss how they feel, you are moving the people to be highly engaged rather than coming in and just doing a job, my job. Is that yep. kind of what you're saying? Yes. Well, mm-hmm. I, think,
2: I think two points. One is don't ever forget how rewarding entrepreneurism can be. I mean, one of the reasons why so many people are leaving corporate America to, to try it at their own is because of that engagement. You know, people want to wake up and be really passionate about what they're doing. Um, but secondly is, you know, how do you really unlock performance? You know, for me, I came from a high-performing environment, and I was really pushing people. And what I realized pretty quickly was I needed to take a different approach. What I did with my company is I went to everybody in my company, and I said, what is it that you want? And the natural answers were, we want to learn the product better. We want to be involved in sales training. And I said, no, no, no. I don't want to know what you want in the business. I want, what you want, to, know, want to know what you want in life. Oh. And... They kind of looked at me funny a little bit at first, and, I, and eventually I pulled it out of them, and it turns out that one of them wanted to be an opera singer, and one of them wanted to learn how to cook, and one of them wanted their mom to stop smoking. And, and then what we did was we used our resources, the same resources we were spending on pizza parties, right? right? We used our resources to go out and get opera lessons for one of them and help one of them become a cook. And, and, and you could imagine that what happened next, all they wanted to do was learn the product better, and go to the sales training and, and, and because we actually embraced what was important to them, um, their loyalty and dedication, uh, in a very frankly, humbling way to us was, was amazing. And you watch the team kind of perform at a, at another level that I didn't expect.
1: Well, I want to, I want to say, uh, Michael, I would love to have you back on the show because there's so much that we haven't covered, but it is time um, for me to thank, you know, to thank you and to say, uh, tell the listeners um, how they can contact you and tell them, uh, you know, maybe where they can get the Lonely Entrepreneur.
2: Sure. Uh, The Lonely Entrepreneur, the website is LonelyEntrepreneur.com. You can get the Lonely Entrepreneur book uh, on Amazon. And and we also just launched our podcast series, which you can find at our website or at iTunes. And and we just launched it with an interview with Steve Madden about his struggle. So it's really interesting. And then we've got a whole series of coaching programs. You can find all of this at LonelyEntrepreneur.com.
1: Well, again, thank you, and I want to schedule a time, probably after the first of the year, where you can come back and we can go further into the book. But now it's uh, time uh, to say, well, who's going to be on next week? Next week's program to bring magic to your leadership in business is Empowering Others with the Lessons I've Used to Empower Myself. My guest is Sean McBride, who, after spending 10 years of the early part of his career working for large law firms, began his entrepreneurial journey in 2012. What's unique about Sean and his business is not only is he an entrepreneur, he also helps other entrepreneurs in their journey. He has built a successful career uh, through empowering himself by using the three laws of empowerment to create a life he loves. His book Business Blunders was written to address common issues he saw when clients came to him after they had gotten into unfortunate situations. So tune in, November 4th, noon Pacific, 3 Eastern. And now my favorite quote. There are three kinds of people in this world. Those who make it happen, those who let it happen, and those who asked, what happened? Which one are you? If you're highly motivated to make it happen, let me help you make it happen. As a Smart Moves Coach, let me show you how. Contact me at Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com or call 972-380-9181. Thank you for listening to the Business Edge. And my my thought for for you is remember to be successful, you must get outside your comfort zone. That's where the magic happens. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to The Business Edge with Marsha Idol, the Smart Moves Coach. Join us again next Friday, noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. Make the leap from a stressful to a successful business.